Welcome to all of you. Welcome especially to those of you at the Franklin campus. We love you. Uh, Our hearts go out to you this morning. We know that there is uh, a tremendous empty place in your fellowship as there is in our fellowship. Uh, We will miss Brother Ron Duvall so very, very deeply. Pastor Eric, I know what he meant to you. I know about all the days when Ron Duvall would put you in the car and drive you around Franklin and just speak encouragement into your heart. I know something of what he meant to you. And God bless you, Pastor. I love you. One of the amazing things about being at the hospital with Kathy and the girls and so many of you from the church after Ron died was was watching Kathy ask for his wedding ring. Before she left the hospital, she wanted his ring. Kathy said, I've always felt so lucky to be married to a man like Ron. Always felt so lucky to be loved by a man like him. This morning, I want to talk about marriage, but I want to talk about the shortness of time. I want you to understand that there are simply no guarantees. When we stand at the altar and get married, we say till death do us part, but we have really no idea what that means. When we slide that ring on our bride's finger at the altar, we really cannot even fathom the day when the doctor will hand us back that ring and we hold that ring, but we'll never ever hold our spouse again. We can hardly imagine that day, but that day comes. Time is short. Life is short. And we only have this life to live and to love one another and to fulfill our marriage vows and to serve the Lord together. Which is why this sermon series is so very important and this day of all days makes it very, very important. Sermon series is called Promises to Keep. This is the second message in the series. Last week we talked about the first promise of marriage, the promise of priority. Next to Christ, we say to our spouse, you are my priority. Today, the second promise of marriage, the promise of pursuit, I will pursue you always. Take a look at the verse from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It'll be on the screens. Genesis 2, 24. We read this last week. This is an important verse. Notice what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I want you to look at that word cling. The two words, leave and cling, are are important. Cling, the Hebrew word there is, is actually rather full. It literally means to stick like glue. So when you get married, it is a promise to leave everybody else, to forsake all others and stick like glue to one, to the one to whom you marry, to cling. But the word also means to follow after, to pursue. And this morning, I want us to take that meaning of the word, the meaning of pursuit, to leave your father and mother, that's the promise you make, to forsake everybody else and go after the spouse. The promise is, I will pursue you always until death. To to get an illustration of this, turn to Genesis chapter 29. I want you to see a love story. This is chapter 29, verses 1 through 30. It's the whole story. I'm not going to take time to read all of this this morning. 
But I do want you to understand how the story flows. The, the main character here is Jacob. Jacob is a scoundrel. Jacob is a liar. Jacob is one who gets everything he wants so far in life. He was a mama's boy, his mama's very favorite. And Jacob has always sort of found a way to lie, to cheat, to deceive, and get whatever he wants. He's never really yet faced anything in life that wasn't his simply for the taking, and he was happy to take it. This is the kind of guy he is. But something amazing happens in Genesis chapter 29. He travels off to find a wife, and he goes to another part of the country where he has relatives living. He comes to a well where he meets a group of shepherds, and they turn out to be shepherds who work for an uncle of his, an uncle named Laban. Laban has two daughters, and, 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 and these are the women that become very important in the story. As Jacob is there at the well talking to the men, up walks one of Laban's daughters. Her name is Rachel, and Rachel is beautiful. And it is an amazing, a shattering kind of moment for Jacob. In, in verse 11, it says that the minute he lays eyes on her, he burst into tears. He simply begins to cry, and he begins to kiss her. I don't even know if he said hello yet, but he burst into tears. Tears begin to flow down his face, and he begins to kiss her. It is love at first sight, whether you believe in it or not. Jacob is a, an altogether different man the moment he lays eyes on this woman. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Because this is what happens to Jacob. The moment he sees this one woman, her beauty breaks his heart. Has that ever happened to you? The moment he sees this woman, all of a sudden he wishes he were a better man. He wants to be a better man. Has that ever happened to you men? Because it's happened to me. I know this feeling. There's a scene in William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, the, the, the movie where Leonardo DiCaprio plays Romeo. But if you've ever seen the movie, or if you haven't, rent it just for this scene. The moment when Romeo first sees Juliet, and he's looking at her through a fish tank, and you can see it happen in that man's heart. It happens to Jacob on this day. The moment he sees her, something happens in his heart. It is crushed for her. He wants her. So Jacob goes, he goes to his uncle Laban's and starts working for him, starts living with him there for about a month, and this is where the story picks up. Uh, about verse 15, join with me, notice what happens here. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we're relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel, there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Okay, did you get that? He told this man, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel for my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked, say it, seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Underline that verse for your husband. He loved her so much, he would do anything. He worked seven years, and it seemed like a few days. That's how much he loved her. 
Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can marry her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. He slipped in his other daughter. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter, but ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over, then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. There's a basic principle in this story that I don't want you to miss. It's a very, very important principle for your marriage, and it is simply this. Notice how Jacob is willing to work for the wife that he already has. He is willing to work seven more years for the wife that he already has. After he works seven years, remember Laban does the old switcheroo, puts the other daughter in, and Jacob becomes willing, once more willing to work seven more years in order to have Rachel. So he works seven years for the bride that he already has. This is the principle I want you to think about. I want you to understand that you have to work at your marriage long after you enter into your marriage. Write that down. You have to work at your marriage long after you enter into your marriage. Now, it's the promise of pursuit. That's what we're talking about. But most of us think of pursuing that girl or pursuing that guy only when we're dating. And the way we date in our culture is so messed up. It's absolutely messed up. Because honestly, in dating, for the most part, it's pretty much pretending to be somebody you're not. Before a date, you used to iron your own shirt. You'd iron a shirt to go out with this woman. And before a date, you used to doll up. You, you would work on your hair and your makeup. And you would look so good. And on that date, you would talk and you would listen. And I'm telling you, on a date, we are on our very best behavior because we're pursuing. We're on the chase. We're pursuing. We're going after that girl, that guy. And typically in our minds, we think of pursuing only what we don't have. We spend all of our energy to pursue, to go after the things that we do not have. That is why you dated and you dated and you dated. Then you got married and then it's sort of like the Jacob story. There was kind of like an old switcheroo after you got married. Because all of a sudden, this guy that you dated doesn't seem to be anything like the guy that you married. This woman that you dated, that woman who laughed at all of your jokes, now all she can do is complain about your shorts in the floor. What happened to the girl you dated? It's like some kind of weird switcheroo where the person you date turns out not to be the person that you marry. And I'm telling you, it all boils down to this principle of pursuit. We stop pursuing our mate once we've got them, once we've married we no longer really consider that we have to continue to work for them. But I want you to come back to Jacob. Notice what Jacob does. He works for her. He continues to work for the bride that he already has. Seven more years. 
He works to win her. I don't really know about the state of your marriage today, but I can tell you one thing. Your marriage began to suffer the moment you stopped pursuing one another. The moment you stopped working to win her, the moment you stopped trying to impress him and please him, the moment you cease to pursue one another, your marriage begins to suffer. And when you stop pursuing one another, your marriage dies. Do you understand? Pursuit is critical. And the second promise of marriage is very simple, but also very, very beautiful. It is a promise to pursue. I will pursue you always. I will continue to work for you. I will continue to try to please you. I will pour out my life in order to be a man, a woman worthy of you. I'll pursue you always. Of course, the problem is we tend to pursue the other one And pretty much the way we like to be pursued. But this is kind of where God has a sense of humor. Because God made us, men and women, very, very differently. Very differently. And typically the way that I like to be pursued is not necessarily the way that my wife likes to be pursued. And that's where the fun starts. Because I tend to be pursuing her in all the ways I wish she would pursue me. And it really doesn't connect. It doesn't connect very well at all. So let's stop right here. Let's work one at a time. We'll we'll do men and then the women or whichever. Who wants to do men first? Men first? Women first? What you want to do? Men first? We'll go men first. We'll talk to the men first, then the women. We're going to talk about how to pursue your mate. I want you to understand how important this is. We'll start with the men. Guys, I suggest you take notes because she's going to, and she's going to be preaching this back to you. So just go ahead and write it down so there won't be any argument about about what was said. Husbands, number one, pursue her with your conversation. Pursue her with your conversation. Think back with me. Do you remember dating? If I had asked your girl what it is that she saw in you in the first place, if I asked her what she loved about you when you were dating, she probably would say to me that one of the things she loved about you was how the two of you could talk all night long about nothing. Am I correct? When you were dating, when you were dating, your wife, your, your girlfriend at the time would probably say that one of the things she loved about you was the way y'all could talk all night long about nothing. Do you remember back in the days before texting, you remember talking on the phone? Remember talking to that woman for hours way into the morning and nobody wants to hang up. You hang up. No, you hang up, baby. No, you you hang up, baby. I'm not hanging up, Smoopy. You hang up. Do you remember that garbage? Isn't that wonderful? You could talk all night long about nothing, absolutely nothing. But now your wife, if we pulled her aside and asked her, her number one complaint would probably be that she can't get you to talk about anything. You have nothing to say to her anymore. She asks you how your day was, and you just grunt out something that might sound like fine. You have nothing to say. You haven't said a word since Jimmy Carter was the president. And I'm telling you, your wife is dying inside. You're killing her, and you're killing your marriage. One of the primary ways to pursue her is with your conversation. She wants you to talk to her. I know that talking doesn't come naturally for a lot of us as men. You probably think this is something I do well. I talk for a living, but ask my wife, when we get home, I'm not the talker. 
when we get home, Casey's the talker, and I guess I'm the listener or, or, or something on a good day. Uh, when we get home, she's the one who talks, and, and I'm just there. And it's very, very frustrating sometimes because she can't get me to talk. She'll ask me how my day was, and I'll groan out something that sounds like fine, just like you. But I'm telling you, she longs to talk. Your wife wants you to pursue her with conversation. It doesn't come naturally for you. I get that. It doesn't come naturally for me either. I don't even get it. I don't understand why she wants to know all the details about my day. I don't do nothing all day long. I mean, I just work. I come to church. I have nothing to tell her. What did you do today? Well, I, I worked on sermons. I... Uh, Talked to Warren, I've prayed, and she acts interested in all of that. She's interested in all of that. I don't understand, but I'm telling you, when I share those details about my life, that's a connection for her. We talk about working at your marriage. Work always has to do with doing something that, that isn't necessarily fun. Well, fellas, this is where you go to work. This is why it's work, because it's not natural for you, and you have to expend energy to do it. But if you care anything about this woman, you learn to pursue her with conversation. You talk to her, you listen to her, and you will be feeding the soul of your marriage. Pursue her with your conversation. Number two, guys, pursue her with your thoughtfulness. Pursue her with your thoughtfulness. One of the things I will always remember about Ron Duvall is when he would worship here at the Woodburn campus, whenever the, the pianist would finish the offertory and she would be coming down those stairs, what did Ron Duvall do? He would get out of his seat wherever he was and he would go over here to this corner and he would help the instrumentalist, whoever she was, help her off the stage. Now, approximately how many men are in this house at any given Sunday morning? Probably, what, 100, 150 of us? And how many of us would sit on our cans just wondering if the penis was going to roll down the stairs? It had been horrible if the penis took a tumble, but we'd just sit there and watch her go. Woo! But not Ron Duvall. What did he do? Out of his seat, over on these stairs, offering the woman his hand, and what was every woman in this church thinking at that time? Where do you get a man like that? I'd like to have one tablespoonful of that to force feed my husband. Where do you get a man like that? Well, it's called thoughtfulness. It's called thoughtfulness. And it's one of the primary ways that your woman wants you to pursue her. Pursue her with your thoughtfulness. I've done that before. Back when we was dating, I, I wrote her a country love song. I wrote her a song, and I, pl I, I played it and, and, and played my harmonica while I sang it to her. I wrote her a song back when we was dating. Way to go, Bubba. I, I appreciate the fact that you once wrote her a song, but that was a long time ago. A long time ago. Don't know I get any points for that. You get points. You get points? Absolutely. You made her breakfast this morning? Way to go. You get points for that. You honestly do. Your wife will give you points for all of those small acts of thoughtfulness. You cooked her breakfast or, or, or maybe you folded the laundry when the dryer buzzed. Or maybe you went out and, and you cleaned up her car. You do get points for that. But understand something. Whatever you do today that's thoughtful, you'll get points for it. But all points expire at midnight. They all expire at midnight. 
She will live today on today's love and on today's thoughtfulness. And you should not expect her to be living on the song you wrote 20 years ago. She's done with that. Those points have run out. It's everyday thoughtfulness. That's why she loves it when you call her in the middle of the day. You ain't got nothing to say. I understand. I don't either. But when you pick up the phone and you call her, what does it say to her? Every woman says, he was thinking about me. They just want to know that you're thinking about him. And if you pick up the phone in the middle of the day, out of the blue, she knows you're thinking about her. She just wants you to think about her. So pursue her with your thoughtfulness. Look for ways to show your affection to her. I'm not talking about a hubba hubba affection. I'm going to get to that, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just the little ways that you would show her that you love her. And it's wonderful to say the words, I love you, but I'm telling you something else. She will go absolutely wild for you if you don't just tell her that you love her, but tell her why you love her. Give her reasons why you love her. Tell her what it is that you see in her. Continue to let your heart be broken by her beauty and tell her that she looks beautiful. Tell her how pretty she is in your eyes. Tell her how much you appreciate her. Use your words, use your actions, use whatever tools you got, but you must pursue her with your thoughtfulness, with your affection. The day you stop doing these things is the day your marriage started to die. And some of you right now, your marriage is really struggling. I'm telling you, in order to have what you once had, you've got to do what you once did. You hearing me? In order to have what you once had, you've got to do what you once did. And the day you stop doing these things is the day this woman started wondering whether you were still really as in love with her as you once were. Pursue her with your thoughtfulness. One more, guys, and you listen to me now. You pursue that woman with your protection. Pursue her with your protection. I'm not saying that you got to be the one that kills the spiders, although that won't hurt either. I'm not saying that she's some wilting flower and you've got to somehow protect her. I'm not saying that, but, but I do want you to understand something about the heart of your woman She really longs to feel secure with you. She longs to feel secure with you. And security comes in a lot of different packages. She wants to feel financially secure with you. I know she works and she might even out earn you. And God bless you, buddy, if she does. But I'm telling you, she still wants to feel financially secure with you. She wants to know that you'll come through for her financially. You all know, in our marriage, my wife is the financial wizard. She's amazing. She's a tremendous steward of money, and I love her for it. It's one of the things I love about her. And she gives me an allowance, and not that I'm like a kid, but that's just how I live. She just gives me allowance, and she knows what she gives me, and it's barely enough to live on. (laughs) Not really. I'm cool. I'm cool. I got enough money to eat at Subway for lunch or or, or whatever. But listen, she knows I don't have a lot of money because she knows exactly what she's given me. But on one of those days when I'm going to swing by and take her out to lunch and she wants to go to Buckhead or somewhere, like not Subway, she wants me to pay. Now, she's got all the money. She knows she only gave me 79 cents for the whole day, but I get to the restaurant, 
She wants me to pay. What's that about? It's about the heart of the woman. Now, she knows that if I'm going to pay, I've probably got to go back home, get in the Dave Ramsey envelopes, get in restaurants, pull out an extra $10 bill and come get her. She knows that's what I had to do, but she loves that. You understand? She loves that. It's security. Your wife wants to know that you'll come through for her financially and physically. She really does appreciate your strength and not just to open a jar of pickles. Do you understand? She really does appreciate your strength. And that is why it is devastating when you use your strength to hurt her. Are you listening to me? It's why it's devastating when you turn on her and you use your strength to hurt her. What kind of man are you? And do you not understand what that does to her heart? She longs to feel safe with you, and you would hurt her? Either with your your strength or with your words, you would use your words to injure her? You would tell her that she's fat? You would tell her that she's worthless? You would tell her the things you tell her? What kind of man are you? You have no concern for her heart? She wants to be protected by you. She wants to feel secure with you. Never harm her with your words. Never touch her physically in a way that would threaten her. She wants you to protect her. She needs you to come through for her. She wants to feel secure with you. You've got to pursue her with your protection 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, there's a place where it says, love always protects. The Greek word there is a word from carpentry. It means to build a roof over. Love always puts a roof over. In other words, there's this sheltering side of love. And it's what you need to discover, husband. That sheltering side of love. Your heart, your arms need to be a shelter for that woman, a safe place for her. The rest of the world may turn against her, but she needs to know that you will always be there to shelter her. You pursue her always with your protection, with your strength. Ladies, ready? Guys, take notes because she's not going to write this stuff down right, I promise. You you, you take notes right here. Wives, number one. Wives, pursue him with your admiration. I say that and immediately I know that it makes a lot of us men sound kind of weak. It makes us seem like we have weak egos and we need to be constantly built up. Well, we do. We do. We are big, strong men, and in the world, we often put on this face as if nothing hurts us and nothing gets to us. But honestly, most of us as men are very, very insecure, very, very wounded men, very wounded. And we really need to know that our wife believes in us and admires us. I want you to understand something, ma'am. I want you to understand that your husband, honestly, is becoming the kind of man that you think he is. 
Every single day, you're speaking words into his heart, and you've got to listen to what comes out of your mouth. As you continue to tear down this man, as you continue to nag at this man, as you continue day after day to rehearse all of his faults, and as you continue day after day to remind him of how he has failed you and to tell him how he never comes through for you, as you continue to rip him to shreds, you are destroying that man, and that makes you at least partly responsible for the situation called your marriage. Understand? It's not all his fault. A man needs to know that his wife believes in him. You ask most men and they will say they don't have any friends. Honestly, most of us in this room, if we're telling you the truth, we'd say we don't feel like we have any friends. We've got a lot of other buddies in our life. We may have fishing buddies and hunting buddies. We've got fellow deacons at church. We've got lots of guys around us. But most men are incredibly lonely, very, very lonely. And your husband, more than likely, is a very, very lonely man. And if I asked him, he would say that you are his best friend. You're listening to me? If we asked your husband, he would tell everybody that you are his very best friend. And this is how you talk to him. You're the only real friend he's got in the world, the only person that he confides in, the only person that really knows his heart. And notice how you handle his heart. He's got to know that you believe in him. I'm telling you, after every single Sunday, I I preach, and and you all will say, Brother Tim, that was a good sermon. Thanks for that sermon. And I appreciate your compliments. I do. I, I appreciate it. But honestly, second to the Lord, there is only one person whose opinion really matters to me. And it's that woman sitting right there. If she believes in me, I'm going to do okay. If she believes in me, I think I'll do okay. I love the rest of you. I appreciate your prayers for me. But that's the woman that counts to me. And you are the woman that counts to your husband. And if he thinks you don't believe for him for a moment, there's something that starts to die in his soul. You have to build him up. You have to support him. You have to give him the confidence that you are pulling with him and not pulling against him. You are probably the only real friend he's got. You're it. So pursue him with your admiration. Love him. Respect him. Believe in him. Number two, it goes along with number one, pursue him with your friendship. Be his friend. As I said, he's kind of a lonely soul. He's kind of a rough old cob. You know that. You're almost the only person who can stand to be with him most days. So be with him. Now, I told the guys to pursue you with conversation, and I hope they do that. I'm on your side, girls, in that point. But now listen to me now, women. Sometimes you pursue him by not talking. Sometimes just go be with him, but don't talk. Because when you start talking, I know how you love that, but that ruins it for him. Are you listening to me? Conversation doesn't do the same thing for a man. It wears us out. It really wears us out. But you know what really lights us up? When you just come and sit down beside us and don't say anything. Man, I love that, sweetie. I love that. I love it. Yesterday, I had to do what sometimes a man's got to do. I had to go under my house. I hate that. It's dark, stinks, snakes, spiders, everything else. Went under there with a flashlight. Guess who went with me? My wife. Man, she's awesome. She stayed way back there. 
She shined a light, told me where to look and where to go. But I know women, you probably don't get this, but every man in the house does. I love that. That was awesome. She could have stayed in the house. She could have gotten in the car while I was gone and went to Hobby Lobby. I mean, she could have split. But she made a choice to come be with me. Just came be with me. Man, I love to mow my yard. I'm out there mowing the yard. And honestly, mowing the yard, that's not a good time for a conversation. But you know what I love? When my wife will come out of the house and just sit on the porch while I'm mowing. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? That's awesome. That's awesome. Because I know she could stay in the air condition. I know that. But she's made a choice to come be with me. Just go be with them. You say you don't talk anymore? Uh, let me tell you a secret. You can probably listen him into talking. But as long as you do all the talking, he'll let you. He'll let you. You're going to have to give him some room. So sometimes just go be with them. If he's out in the shop working, why don't you just go up, pull up a chair, and just sit out there and be with him? He loves that. I know you don't understand that. I'm telling you, you can be in the car riding together, and you'll be thinking, what's wrong with us? We're not talking. And he's thinking, this is the best day we've ever had together. (laughs) I'm not making a joke, and I'm I'm not saying anything bad about our wives. I'm just saying you don't understand, women, that we really just love to be with you. We really, really do love to be with you. So pursue, pursue us with your friendship. Come alongside your husband. Just be with him. Be beside him. Just give him company. Your best friend. Act like a best friend. Ladies, you ready for this one? I apologize in advance, but I feel like I'm obligated to say this. Pursue him with your nakedness. Pursue him with your nakedness. Now, children, you're listening to me, and I appreciate that you are. Understand, I'm talking about married people, talking about married people. It is ordinarily not appropriate to let other people see your body, especially all of the parts that are covered by a bathing suit. Listen to me, children. You don't let other people see those parts of your body. But when you're married, it's one of the wonderful ways that we can be together. And that's why I can say to married people that nakedness is actually something that God created for us. The ability to be together and be in each other's arms in that way. It's a beautiful thing. And listen to me, women. You need to pursue him in this way. It is one of the ways that he really wants to be wanted by you. He still needs to know that after all you've been through together, you can still be lovers. He really needs to know that. I know that all of us now, you know, we're at the age where we probably shouldn't appear naked anywhere in front of anybody. But this is a tremendous way that God has created for the husband and wife to be together. It is not for any relationship outside of marriage, but inside of marriage, it's beautiful and it's right and it's supposed to be. Pursue him with your nakedness. Gosh, there's a couple, a number of years ago where my wife and my sister, I got two women in my life, y'all help me. I got two women like that. They love each other. My sister and my wife, their birthdays are one day apart. And there was this little time years ago when Tracy and Casey started getting each other nightgowns for their birthday. Now, women, y'all are good at a lot of things, but y'all cannot pick out a woman's nightgown. Let me just tell you, y'all don't know what makes a good nightgown. And my sister would buy my wife these nightgowns. I mean, like from here to here with buttons and buckles. I mean, made out of Kevlar and flannel. I mean, I'm like, I'm like breaking into Fort Knox. And year after year, they'd swap nightgowns. They'd open them up and they'd go, oh, that's so cute. Thank you. You always know just what I like. And I'm thinking, Tracy, you're killing me. 
You're killing me. There is no reason for any nightgown to have that many acres of fabric. Just a little rule of thumb. Ladies, learn this. I'm, telling, I'm helping you, ladies. If you're buying a nightgown, just pick it up and look at it. It's a sort of picture. It should be, you should be able to fold it up neatly and place it in a Ziploc sandwich bag. Okay? If it's any bigger than that, it's no good. Y'all laughing like I'm not serious. Go through your drawer tonight. Take out your nightgowns, fold them up. If they are too large to fit neatly into a Ziploc sandwich bag, throw it out. Recycle it. Give it to the local farmers and they can cut it up and cover their crops. Whatever you need to do. But that flannel nightgown ain't helping nothing. Ain't helping nothing. So when your Tracy said, you know... I've been getting Casey nightgowns for several years. What should I get her this year? A purse. Get her purse. That's what I said. Purse. Get her a purse. You're killing me. I'm not being crude. I'm just being real, real honest. At whatever point the two of you stop pursuing each other as lovers, something dies between the two of you. Don't you understand? how short life is? Don't you understand that one day they will come and they will place that man's ring in your hand and you will hold that ring but you'll never ever hold him again? Don't you understand how short life is? And you only have so many nights in your whole life to lay in each other's arms and to love each other. Life is so short. So what's wrong with the two of you? What's wrong with you? Why are you fighting? What is possibly worth it? What is possibly worth pursuing more than this woman? What's possibly worth going to bed angry tonight? Just tell me, what are you fighting about? What is so important that you would waste these days of your life, these days of your marriage? It doesn't last forever. And life is way too short for anything but love. Your marriage is way too short for anything but forgiveness and tenderness. Stop it. Stop fighting. Stop complaining. Stop nagging. Stop hiding. Stop running. Pursue one another. Come back home to one another. You understand you don't have forever. You just got a few days, just a few days. Pursue one another. Love each other. Love each other. Pray with me. Oh, God, we get everything so out of proportion, so out of focus. Oh, God, we fix our minds on such small things. We start complaining and criticizing, and then we never stop. We just can't stop. Tearing each other down and continuing, Lord, to break our promises. Oh, Lord, life is so short. I pray today for Kathy Duvall. I pray, Lord, for her and her empty arms. God, I pray for all of the couples in this church. I pray for all the couples in in these towns. Lord, I just pray because the devil knows if he can destroy our marriages, 
He just destroys our hearts. God, I pray today that husbands and wives in the sound of my voice will just stop fighting and just stop, stop criticizing. Just come back together. Love each other madly, passionately, happily. God, we know that truly this is not in our power to do. We don't forgive very well. We don't forget very well. We don't love very well, Lord. We only love ourselves. Lord Jesus, I pray that today you would come into our hearts in a fresh and strong way. Help us to love you first, to love you madly, to love you passionately. Let that love, Lord, overflow out of our hearts to our marriages, our children, our church, our community, the world. Oh, God, the world is starving for love. Oh, God, some of us are starving for love. And it's right in front of our eyes. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Help us to pursue one another and love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you a chance to respond. I don't know what you need to do. Some of you need to go home and talk. Some of you need to pursue that woman, pursue that man again. Some of you need to pursue the Lord and let him give you a new heart that's capable of loving and forgiving. I invite you to do that today as well. The altar's open if you wish to come and pray. Come with your spouse. Come alone. Do whatever you need to do to make your heart right, your marriage right today. Stand together. Let's sing. Brother Andrew, lead us. Jesus, draw me close.